So prophetic ministry, it's a building ministry. This is the emphasis which uh, Paul particularly gives concerning prophetic ministry. Um, you see in scripture, you know, the, we can say there's different aspects of how the prophetic is manifest, there's prophetic gift, prophetic ministry, office of prophet, but we want to lump, lump all of that together in prophetic ministry. And we see prophetic ministry, it sits alongside pastoral ministry, and it sits alongside teaching ministry, and it sits alongside apostolic ministry, which we're looking at last time, and it sits alongside the evangelistic ministry. And uh, because we've had, we say, even some centuries, or even millennia of a sort of a pastor-teacher model of the church, we're, we're in a readjustment in the church in this season, and so those whom the Lord is is moving on in a prophetic sense, we need to understand what is moving on us and why. And what is moving on us and why is that we might do a building job. Um, so for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, Paul says very clearly, the one who prophesies builds the church. Uh, Ephesians 4, 11, it says the prophets are for building up the body of Christ with the other ministries as I've mentioned. Uh, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, um, Jesus being the cornerstone. And interestingly, Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, my authority is not for tearing down, but for building up. And that's really an allusion to uh, the beginning of Jeremiah, when the Lord says to Jeremiah, you know, there's some things to be pulled down and some things to be built up. And Paul says his emphasis is not the pulling down, but the building up. And sometimes you do hear people saying, yeah, we've got a lot of building down to do before we do the building up. But Paul says his emphasis was building. Um, and he called himself, you know, he... he that, he, uh, he sought to do what he did like a wise master builder. So he knew what he was doing and how he was doing it. And we want to be the same with prophetic ministry. Um, <coughs> if you're familiar with uh, Zechariah 1, let's just read that um, just very quickly, 18 to 21. Go to Matthew and back a few pages. <laughs> so Zechariah says, uh, saw, um, he says, he lifted up my eyes and looked, and there were four horns. And so I said to the angel who was speaking with me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So that's kind of the empires of Babylon and uh, Assyria and so on, but the spiritual powers also behind them. And then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, or you could say builders. And I said, what are these coming to do? And he said, these are the horns which have scattered Judah so that no man lifts up his head, but these craftsmen have come to terrify them, to throw down the horns of the nations who have lifted up their horns against the land of Judah in order to scatter it. So it's the ones who know how to build terrify the enemy. So there is a, a grace and a mandate 
from God to do a building job. We can go in and we can build. We have authority to build. And the enemy is powerless. In fact, he's terrified. So God has a building program. Prophetic ministry plays a key part. So we need to understand this focus of the ministry, what it covers and and involves, so that we can bring good fruit with excellence. So what are the jobs we're doing and how does prophetic ministry do them for our churches? Glad that we can have you know, we're, we're, we're gathering together from numerous churches and we really want to be, as it were, a, a prophetic company, we like that expression, across the churches for the city, region, nation, together. So what's the job we're doing in our churches? What's the job we're doing for the city? What are we doing for Edinburgh? What's the prophetic job for Edinburgh? What's the job for our society? So, you know, same but different if you see what I mean the nation and nations beyond that we have a job to do just a very quick walk through 1 Corinthians 14 I'm I'm sure you're familiar with this passage but um, Paul identifies some of the jobs the prophetic gift and ministry does firstly which I guess we all know edifying, exhorting and comforting people as we've already said building, edifying the church interestingly Jesus said in Matthew 16, which we all know, I will build my church, you know, on the rock of the revelation of who he is. He will build his church. And sometimes you hear people saying things like, yeah, Jesus builds the church, we build the kingdom. There's a certain degree of truth in that, but the, the aspect, the reality is, is that Jesus always uses his people. Um, it's partnership, it's not either or, it's both and. But interestingly, taking that emphasis, I will build my church, and then the scripture clearly says the gift and the ministry of prophecy builds the church. What's happening? Jesus is building his church through prophetic ministry, at least in part. That's one way he builds his church. So we see that we're elevated to a great place of privilege and significance through that statement. Uh, Prophecy is for teaching, an instruction. That's an interesting one. We can learn through prophecy. And if we've, you know, you may be listening to personal prophetic ministry to somebody else and it's not for you, but actually you can learn stuff from it because of the revelatory uh, nature of it. Um, it's a sign. It's a sign. Interestingly, Paul says a sign for believers. Uh, prophecy in Revelation is called the testimony of Jesus. It's the demonstration of Jesus present in our midst. Uh, and then concerning the unbelievers, he says it reveals secrets of the heart, brings to conviction and calling to account. Um, like the goodness of the Lord leads to repentance, is the scripture I've put there, because we're revealing the kind heart of the Lord in that. Revealing God. Prophetic reveals God. It's more than just teaching about God. It reveals him because it's filled with his presence. Builds worship. Thank you for the worship team again. 
Worship, we say, we've said it before, worship is a prophetic activity. Worship leading is a prophetic activity. Um, manifesting the presence of God, I'm just going to be speaking particularly into that. And uh, it's a vital part of believers' gatherings. When you come together, each one has this, that, and prophecy is a key part. So, Paul puts a great emphasis on prophetic ministry. Very quickly, some aspects of God's building program. This is big picture stuff. And if we want to, if we're going to be building, we need to know the kind of things God is building. Jesus the prophet is building through his people. So we can talk about things like the redemption of all things and the completion of Adam's mandate. Jesus is the second Adam. Building the church, building the kingdom of God. Actually both expressions of the governmental rule of Christ on the earth. Jesus speaking through his people, bringing his government through his word. Uh, the new creation, interestingly, God says in the end of, Revela end of Revelation, excuse me, uh, I making all things new. There's a complete recreation happening, new heaven and new earth, but it begins with a new man in the new birth. That's something which is being built. God's household is a new covenant people, Ephesians 2.19. The body of Christ was mentioned. A holy temple, a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Again, Ephesians 2. And Peter says something similarly. A spiritual house for a holy priesthood, offering spiritual and acceptable sacrifices. Um, uh, sort of a topical theme or a current theme in many places today is the tent of David, restored uh, Acts chapter 15, Amos 9, we'll be devoting a, a weekend to that specifically uh, next year. Um, so it has very uh, important application for prophetic people. Uh, the New Jerusalem, you know what we see in the end of Revelation, the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, that's it. It has been built, but it's being built now. It's being built tonight. It's being built with us tonight. It's being built in many places tonight. It's says in the book of Hebrews, you have come to Zion. Um, Actually, 21, it talks about the restoration of all things. God's doing a big job. There's a lot of things happening. So, um, prophetic ministry touches that and all of these things. And uh, you know, I, I thoroughly believe that we're touching for the nation a revival season. And I believe we've got a job as prophetic people to do in facilitating that revival move of God and then a reformation move of God, which is a longer time scale thing, and transformation, which is kind of linked, but again, a longer time scale thing. So, some big jobs which we're doing. So just very quickly, um, prophecy bills, you know, some ways prophecy bills, it's obviously a revelatory ministry. If we don't get revelation, it's not prophecy, if you like. Um, so it's our key tool. But we're building spiritually. We're building spiritually. We're not building with bricks and mortars and we're not building man-made structures. We're building things which come from heaven by the Spirit to touch people's hearts. Um, a lot of that is 
motivation. Interestingly, you read in the book of Haggai, the prophets stirred up the hearts of the people, the spirits of the people to build, interestingly. We build by the word of declaration. Um, like the Lord spoke and it came into being, Adam named the animals, same dynamic. Um, Jesus in Mark uh, 11 says, you know, whatever you say, if you believe, will be manifest. And then we're building corporately together. We really do believe this is the model of the prophetic. It's a corporate thing, not an individual thing on our own. Just that's, uh, we're exposed. Just uh, in conclusion, before I hand over, some prophetic building tools, materials, obviously dreams, visions, heavenly encounters, revelations, the Rima word, the life-giving word, uh, the understanding of times, revelatory knowledge, wisdom, etc. And you can add to yourself to that list. Um, Manifest presence, glory of God, and we'll be talking about that. The testimony of Jesus revealing who he is, that he is here now doing some stuff. The prophetic new song, prophetic intercession, the fear of the Lord. We carry, we can say in a particular way, the fear of the Lord, which is clean. We build faith, we build hope, we build love, and we build with those three things. We build vision, as Naomi was mentioning at the beginning, bringing amplification to the scriptures, present application of the scriptures, and you could go on. And we want to see how some of these things might fill out over today and tomorrow. Are you praying into that? Yeah. So let's just pray. Maybe we can just stand. I'll pray into this before I hand over. So basically there's a call from Jesus, the chief prophet, who is building who is building? Will we build with him? Will we allow ourselves to be prepared and positioned to be builders with him? The things he delights in. So let's just present ourselves and we say, Jesus, here we are before you. All you do is wonderful. All you do, Jesus, is wonderful. And we thank you, Lord, how you are choosing to fill us and to use us. And we say, Lord, let your grace, let your anointing fall on us to do this building job, to do it well, to do it faithfully, to do it excellently. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, Stephen has given us that idea of the big picture and, and what that can mean on quite a big level. Um, and in a moment, Angela's going to come in and talk to us about what it means to practice the presence of God. But I'm going to make it personal. So I'm going to bring it here to our hearts. Um, and I just wanted to speak briefly from, from 1 Samuel, from 1 Samuel chapter 16. Um, so Samuel is sent by God to anoint King Saul's successor to the throne of Israel, and it doesn't really go quite the way that he was expecting it to go. Uh, God sends, it, sends him to the family of Jesse, who had eight sons, seven of whom were prime king material. Uh, they were strong, they were successful, they had a commanding presence, everything that you want in a leader, right? 
Um, and as each one passes in front of him, Samuel is expecting, yeah, this is him. This, this must be the one to anoint. And I think whenever we consider that story, we learn something very important about the character of God. And it has some pretty important implications for our own hearts as well. Um, so let me just read verses 6 and 7 to you. It should come up on the screen as well. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord, our Father, he looks um, to our hearts. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that the external things we do are unimportant or have no meaning or, or of no concern to God. Of course not. However, as those who are walking out in our prophetic gifting and leading and discipling others as well, I think we would do well to remember the way in which God looks at us. The thing that concerns him most is the condition of our heart. This is what it boils down to. And I just have a couple of very short points to make. And before we move on, firstly, I wonder tonight if God is calling some of you to a time of evaluation, a prompt to evaluate what condition your heart is in before the Lord. And it might be, you might find that that's a moment of recognition, a moment of recognition for what he has done. So maybe you've been um, on a journey of identity, of letting God mold you um, and shape you, of going down that painful path um, and of being open to him, of letting him do the deep work in you. And actually, as you begin this weekend, that um, this is a chance to come before the Father in gratitude, to come before him and honour him for what he has done in your life in this season as you have answered his call of humility before him. Perhaps as you consider the way that the gardener has pruned you for growth. You can say again to him, to the one that you can trust, more, Lord, I trust you for more. Or maybe um, our gentle father, that gentle God that we have, is making you aware of where your concern has been on the outward appearance, on how you as a prophetic person might look or how those around you might perceive you. And it's good in a way to consider this. I don't think that God is asking us to run blindly around without pause or or care of how others might receive what we say. However, when this becomes our primary focus, I think then we need to come back to the Father and address the condition of our hearts. And I believe that there is space And that there is grace for that tonight, to come honestly before God, to let him work gently on your heart again, to draw your focus back to him, 
the one who gifted you in the first place. So what is the condition of your heart? When David was anointed to become king, we don't really know if much changed externally. Um, it might have, but for the most part, what we do know is that he was still tending sheep. And his family were still relatively unconcerned with him. The brothers all went off to war and he was out in the fields and then eventually got, got called in. However, what had changed was his calling, who he was meant to be. His identity had changed. When he was anointed to become king, his identity had come into focus before the Lord. Jim Gall says that God does not give a prophetic anointing into a void. And I wonder if maybe David had felt like his anointing had been given into a void. Of course he knew that he had to wait to be king, but I'm sure there were days when he was out alone in the fields and he thought to himself, did that really happen? Did I just make it up or did I, did I misunderstand? And I think that feeling of a void is a tactic of the enemy of God to debilitate us and to discourage us. Because sometimes it can seem like a void. You know that the gifting is there and you know that this is what God has for you, but you don't always know what to do with it. And we hope that you might leave this weekend feeling better equipped for that. But more than that, we hope that the place that seems like a void, that that place that seems lonely and isolated, might be transformed into a place of rest and a place of growth, a place of communion with Father God and with others who are walking the same path. For David, I think that those fields were fields of preparation. And I wonder if God is reminding you tonight that your gifting was not a mistake, nor was it thrown out into a void, but rather God is, is leading you into his fields of preparation, to the place where you are reminded of the God who looks on your heart and who wants to refine your identity in him. Perhaps you have been walking this path for a long time, and you may know your gifting really well and, and you know what God has for you and what that looks like as well. You might know that. Um, but that moment of anointing, that moment of calling, it might seem quite far away or like a distant memory. Um, and I think that God would want to bring a sort of recommissioning to your soul this weekend. A reminder of what it was that he spoke over you. A reminder of why you're doing this thing in the first place. And I think that that also comes back to identity. To just take a step back from the stuff and from the doing and tonight just to be in his presence. God looks on our hearts. His primary concern, his primary concern is what is going on here not how good or how bad it looks here it's here and he also leads us to those green pastures to the fields of preparation and the fields of remembering to remind our souls of who he is and who we are in him 
he refines our identity in him. And as we live and walk and serve as prophetic people, and as we seek to build with our Father, these two things are so important. Our hearts are our Father's concern. And an identity that is rooted in truth and in the Spirit is so key. So I wonder if there's something in there for you to just respond to tonight. And we'll have time for that later. But just for now, I wonder if, if just where you are, um, just receive from the Lord. I want to read a psalm over you um, that the Father really pressed on my heart before I came here. And you will all know it. <laughs> you probably could say it off by heart. Um, but I just encourage you where you are to just close your eyes and... And just maybe even hold out your hands or whatever is a posture of receiving from the Father for you. And just let him speak to your heart and reveal what it is that he is pointing to. Um, do you need to come to recognize your place in those fields of preparation? Are you coming um, with a posture of remembrance before your Father? Do you know that you need some to do some repentance as well? What is he doing? The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. And he leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, bringing honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup, it overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Father, we receive from you. We receive from you. We trust you. Will you speak to our hearts? Will you prompt us as you would? I pray that we will be receptive to you. We will be receptive to you, the God who, who brings revelation, the God who brings comfort to us, and the one who disciplines the one that he loves. We welcome you, Father. And we ask this in your name, Jesus, and for your sake. Amen. I'm going to hand over to Angela and I, who's going to um, continue on um, on our theme. <coughs> Next slide. 
um, we're going to just speak uh, for a few minutes now into building for encounter or building with the presence. Um, so we can have the next slide. So the prophetic area really loves presence and encounter. So building encounter and releasing presence is a big part of the prophetic job. The apostolic has primary vision and strategy and structure. The pastoral is interested in the healing of the sheep, the discipling of the sheep. Um, the evangelistic is interested in bringing in the lost sheep and so on. But the prophetic, a prophetic person is desperate for presence like one of those songs we were singing. It irritates no empathetic people when there's no presence of God. But the thing is, we're not to be irritated because it's actually part of our remit to bring that presence and to facilitate that presence. So this being frustrated when there's no presence isn't right because we should realise it's part of our building job to facilitate presence. How, how do we do that? Uh, next slide. So, knowing, recognising and releasing the presence, the glory and the spirit of God. How does that happen? There's, there's two ways that we can speak about the presence of God. The first is the presence we feel around us when God's presence comes. What are we talking about with that? Um, we're talking about the manifest presence. You see, God is everywhere all of the time. That's this theological word. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all of the time. But sometimes he shows himself. For example, in the transfiguration, Jesus is walking on earth and he's, he's like the secret agent in disguise in one sense because he looks like a human being. And it, Jesus is fully divine and he's fully human. But he goes on the mountain and it's like this word transfiguration, transfigure, it means to change. But I describe it like this as to what Jesus was doing on the mountain. It's like he unzipped himself and he showed the divine nature on the inside and the glory of God. And what is the glory? The glory is not like some blob that floats around. The glory of God is his nature. When you study it out, it's his nature and his character. And so he's always revealing who he is, and that's shining out. And you see, it was shining out through Jesus in all that he did. But then he completely unzipped himself and he showed himself to his disciples in the fullness of his, not just his humanity, but his deity. And uh, so he, he, he shows himself in different ways. And the thing about prophetic people is the Lord will train us by his Holy Spirit to understand how he's showing himself. You see, when um, they'd gone fishing, the disciples, and they caught nothing all night, and then this man is there and he says, well, cast your net on the other side, and then they get all this catch, and it's an enormous catch. And John goes, hey, Peter, it's the Lord. You see, Pete, John, the prophetic one, the one who was leaning on the breast of Jesus in intimacy, he recognises Jesus first. 
He recognizes the presence of Jesus. This is the job of prophetic people. In Revelation, it says the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of all prophecy. Or the spirit of all prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. It's always revealing who Jesus is, what Jesus is doing. Jesus is here. That's our job. So the Holy Spirit will train us to see Jesus and what Jesus is doing, what he's doing by his spirit, how he's moving, how his presence is moving, where his glory is moving, what he is up to. So that's how he trains us, to know his presence, to know his manifest presence. That's the first way. That's what he's doing with us uh, in many different ways. How do we do that? We, we can see the presence. We can see the glory. We can see how the Spirit's moving. We can see in the Spirit. We can hear and we can sense and so on. These are parts of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that enable us to understand and work with what God is doing. Uh, so then we understand what he wants to do and then we see how are we to work with him how are we to walk in the glory with him that's what Adam and Eve did in the beginning they walked with God in the cool of the day that can be translated they walked with God in the ruach that's the Hebrew word they walked with God in the wind of God they walked with God in the spirit prophetic people are trained by the Lord to walk with him in the spirit and then we are called to facilitate that to the rest of the body of Christ and that's our building job that's part of our building job so we understand and we see what he wants to do but that's not enough then we have to learn to work with him in what he wants to do in the realm of the spirit that's the first way now that's the manifest presence that is around us, as you would say, and comes down and wraps around us. Who's felt who's felt that presence? It's like a, a warm, glorious blanket, isn't it, you would describe, or a weight. The word glory, it means weight. So there's a weight of his glory that we can sense, and it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? His presence is beautiful. And we can experience and sense it to different degrees. And it's like it becomes heavier and it's like it's this cloud and it becomes thicker and thicker and thicker. And so sometimes, like they had in the temple when the glory came, we can't stand up with so much of the weight of the glory. You know, there was a move of the spirit that started in about 1994 and um, people would fall down. And one of the leaders of this movement, John Arner, People would say to him, why are people falling down? And he would say, because they can't stand up. And that was because were, it wasn't a silly comment. It was, there was so much weight of the glory of God that they were so, people were so heavy, oh, they were falling down in the weight of the presence of God. When something is weighty, in our English language, it means it's powerful, it's important, it's glorious, it's of... Um, something we have to pay attention to. Um, so that those are, it's, it's majestic. That's God's presence. Now we focused on that presence for a long, long time, where, oh yeah, God's coming down, God's wrapping himself around, his glory cloud. Well, that, they had that in the Old Testament, didn't they? They had this cloud of glory by day and a pillar of fire by night, which was the same cloud that they saw the fire inside it at night. 
And then they knew this thick weight of the glory because they would fall down under it in the, when God came in the temple. So that even that, under the old covenant, they had that. But in the new covenant, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Glory inside you to be released. This is so you can go into difficult circumstances. Maybe when you go to work or when you go into another country and it's difficult. And you think, oh, Lord, will you come down, will you come down, will you come down? And God says, no, I'm inside of you. You let me out. You let me out in your workplace. You let the glory out because you're carrying the glory. Jesus said, come to me and drink, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke about the Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So the Holy Spirit can be likened to a river. You have the glory of God on the inside of you, and you have the river on the inside of you. You have Christ on the inside of you. Once you start looking at the scripture, you're packed up with stuff from heaven. You're actually stuffed up with things from heaven, and the Lord just wants to get it out of you. And as we understand that, he can release his glory, he can release his presence through us. And as prophetic people, as we realize that, then when we get frustrated when there's no presence, God's saying, just release the presence, just release the presence. And, and the, things change. And it's not what you do, it's who you are. It's knowing who you are. You're this son and daughter of the king and kings and the lord of the lords. You're redeemed by the blood of the lamb and you're filled with glory. And you're filled with this river. And it flows from heaven and it flows through you. You're this conduit through which the life of heaven flows into the earth. And as you know that, it's a simple thing to release that. So just in this moment, sense the presence of God. Presence of God around you. Thick, thick presence. Thick, thick presence. Thick, thick presence of Jesus. The weight of his glory. The weight of his glory. More, Lord. More. And then just... By faith, look on the inside of yourself and see that you're glorious within. In Psalm 45, it says that the queen who was by the side of the king, that she's all glorious within. And you know, I've got a slide later on, but I'm going to say it now. There's different ways that this glory gets released from the inside. And it in um, 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about these manifestations of the Spirit, which are the gifts of the Spirit. What's that word manifestation mean? It means to the outshining of something. And it's the same as what happened with Jesus when he unzipped himself and the glory shone out. So when the Holy Spirit uses the gifts of the Spirit through us, it's like he shines out through us. So all that list of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12... That list, when we use it, it's the glory of God and it's the nature of Christ shining out through you. When there were miracles happening, it says that Jesus, when he turned the water into wine, that was the first way he manifested his glory. That was the first miracle by which he manifested his glory. The, the word shines out. Psalms tell us that the word, when we speak the word, when we proclaim the word, it shines out the glory of God. So proclamation, declaration, reading, speaking out the word of God, it shines out um, 
and reveals the glory of God. And we'll look at some more ways just at the end. But thank you, Lord, that you are just unlocking this river from the inside that we're seeing. Could you just bring up the picture? That's what you look like on the inside. You're full of the cloud of the glory of God. You're full of the fire of God. You're full of the glory of God. You're full of the river of God. That is who you are. That's who scripture says you are. And there are these ways that release that. You know, when we sing and when we worship the Lord, and when we glorify him, it releases that river of the glory from the inside of you. It releases heaven that's on in the inside of you. It releases it into the circumstances and the situation. So... Christ in you is the answer to the situation that you're in. So you're not thinking, oh, this is terrible, this situation, I've got no answer. No, you don't have an answer, but Christ in you has the answer, and, and the release of his presence is the answer. So I've just got one picture. If we go back uh, back a slide, um, a picture of the power of this river, just to finish with, uh, on the inside of us in Judges and five. Now I was at, uh, speaking at a ladies conference in another nation and I'd just been speaking about Deborah. The conference was about Deborah and I'd been speaking about this in a workshop and in the next, in the Sunday service I, I'd done my speaking if somebody else was speaking but in the worship during that day the Lord started to speak to me some more about these chapters about Deborah and he asked me a question and, you know, you know, when the Lord asks you a question, he doesn't expect you to give him the answer. He's going to give you the answer. But he asks you the question to start making you think. But it's not so you give him the answer, it's so that you ask him for the answer. So he said to me, he said, how did Deborah win that battle that she was involved in with the people of God against their enemies? And immediately... He gave me the answer. And he said, there is a river, which is from a psalm. See, when you go back to those two chapters, chapter four in Judges, it talks about the battle itself and how Deborah arose in Israel and she called the army together and the Lord gave a strategy for defeating the enemy. And in chapter 5, it talks about the spiritual atmosphere and how the Lord fought the battle. But it also speaks about the general condition that was in the nation at that time. And it said that the roads in the nation, nobody went on the roads. And it says the reason nobody went on the roads was, and that everybody was hiding away, was because their enemies had 400 iron chariots. Now these 400 it's either 400 or 900. I'm, I think I'm getting the name wrong. Is it 900? 900 iron chariots. And uh, you see, their enemies had the secret of this metal, iron. But Israel didn't have the secret of the metal, iron. And so Israel only had about one sword in the whole of their nation, whereas the enemy had 900 iron chariots. So the enemy had advanced weapons technology the most advanced weapons technology of their day. Now, the most advanced weapons technology of our day is a nuclear bomb. So the enemy has 900 nuclear bombs. And what did Israel have? They didn't think they had anything because they'd only got that one sword between them. 
but they had a strategy from the Lord through this prophetess, Deborah, which was to call the army together. They were going to go to this mountain and then the enemy would be drawn out to them. And as the enemy was drawn out to them, they were drawn into this valley called the Valley of Jezreel. Now it had a riverbed flowing through it, but there was no water in it. So these 900 iron chariots are going along this riverbed. Suddenly, there's a flash flood in the natural, and this flash flood of water fills this riverbed, and these 900 chariots, the advanced weapons technology, were rendered completely useless, and the victory was won by Israel. So, in the spirit, you have a greater river on the inside of you than 900 nuclear bombs. That is the river that's on the inside of you that completely deals with any situation that you would meet. That is the power of the Spirit of God that's within you. And how does it work? It works by faith. Now, there's another part to this story, because when Deborah called the the leader of the army and she told him the strategy of the Lord, he said, okay, I'll go, Deborah, but you've got to go with me. And she said, that's great, I'll go with you. And the victory, by the way, is going to go to a woman. So everybody's being dealt with by this river, but the leader of the the armies of the enemy, he runs away. And then he goes to this tent of this lady called Jael. And then you'll start to remember this story. And Jael goes, oh, come in, my lord. Come in my tent. Have a drink of milk. And then he goes to sleep because he's exhausted. He's been wading around in all this mud and running away. And she gives him this milk and she covers him up and he goes to sleep. And she promptly takes a tent peg and hammers it through his head into the ground. And after she's done that, she chops off his head. Very nice story. In the spirit, what does this mean? It's a picture. It's a prophetic picture. Just like that river is a picture of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us. Jesus is called a tent peg. He's called a tent peg in various scriptures, in Zechariah, in Isaiah, in, in several places in scripture, he's called this tent peg. He's called this nail. Now Jesus was nailed to the cross by the enemy, by the devil, but also by my sin and your sin. Our sin nailed Jesus to the cross. But the devil thought he'd nailed Jesus. But in actual fact, what was happening was what it says in Genesis, the first prophecy to Adam and Eve, where it says, where the Lord says to Eve, um, the enemy, he's going to bruise the heel of your seed, but your seed will bruise the head of the enemy. You see, that nail was really only going through the heel of Jesus, but when he died on the cross, he actually, he was actually the nail, and he nailed the enemy. And there's this picture we have with Jael is that the work of Jesus nails the enemy. So Jesus, when he died on the cross, he nailed the work of the enemy. He rose again, went to heaven, and released this river of the power of greater than 900 nuclear bombs through you, through you. So by believing in the finished work of Jesus and applying the finished work of Jesus to your life and to the enemy 
and releasing this river, that's how you release the presence of God. That's who you are. You are a blood-bought child of God, but you are one who has a river inside you of the glory and power of God. That's our identity. Not your gift. Your gift is not your identity. Who you are in Christ is your identity. What Jesus has done for you on the cross is your identity. And your function, and how you are releasing the glory, is the giftings that work in your life. But don't be... You, yes, you identify with your gift, but it's not your identity. Your identity is this wonderful woman, man of God, full of the glory. So let's just pray. Maybe stand up. I'm going to finish with this, and then we'll have a time of ministry, but we'll also finish the meeting. So, Father, I'm just asking that as we are feeling your presence around us, we're also understanding, Jesus, who you are inside us because of what you've done. That that will start to release through the giftings of the Spirit that you've given us, which we will look at tomorrow, this glory, this glorious river and this glorious power of your Spirit, which brings presence, which builds into people's lives and enables them to encounter you and who you are. So, Father, I'm asking that you activate the flow of this river during this weekend, that it, the river flows with power from each one of us, in Jesus' name. Flowing with these gifts, flowing with the miracles, flowing with the word, flowing with the love of God, flowing with the revelation of the finished work of Jesus. In Jesus' name.